1: Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Greetings! And my second co-host, Charles Raven. Hello! And our guests today are the designers of the award-winning game Belfort. It's a tabletop game. They are Sengfu I'm sorry, Senfu Lim and Jake C- Cormier. Welcome to the show. That's close enough too. Hi, you, how are you doing?
2: Is it Cormier? Yeah, no, it is. Perfect. I was just joking.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the show. Asian names are so much easier.
1: Ah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that way, but it's true. So, um th- what we have here is uh it's a fantasy, it's sort of a f-
0: a fantasy a- city planning game.
1: Um yeah. So, yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's kind of like that, a sort of a cross between Dungeons and Dragons and Monopoly.
3: <laughs> I don't think it's quite as. as yeah, there's not. Much not role as.
1: Play.
2: Yeah, there's, there's some, a, more some people in the world that would punch you in the face for saying that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Monopoly has a fandom. I tell you, it's fierce as any in science fiction or gaming.
1: So, awesome. so uh, tell us about yourselves. How did you? Where did you come to a point where you were uh where you were interested in designing? Uh, tabletop games.
4: School
0: or work? or Sure.
4: Oh, no, it was... uh, Jay and I met at school at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, where we both uh, started our undergrads there. And we kind of became friends because of games and played a whole lot of games. And eventually... We got to the point where we were like, you know, we like these games, but I think we can make a better one. And so we tried and, and we failed. And But the thing that about it that it makes, I guess, people who are successful different than other people is that we didn't stop. We did put it aside for quite a while, uh, but then later on when Jay moved out west, he lives in Vancouver and I live in London, Ontario, Canada still. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're separated by a lot of space um we decided to pick it up again as a way to maintain our friendship and and stay in touch with each other across the large distance um game game making became uh our our way to keep talking to each other and keep doing things together and jay what about you
2: yeah, I mean, uh, it was, I mean, <clears throat> we've both been playing games our whole lives and, uh, but it was Sen that introduced me to that, uh, wonderful, uh, crack cocaine known as Magic the Gathering. <laughs> oh, yeah. And,
1: yeah, that'll do it.
2: Yeah, and so, uh, <clears throat> an empty bank account later, uh, <laughs> we, we were, uh, that's kind of when the, uh, advent of the German board games or the European board games started to really make a scene, uh, you know, in the mid nineties and we started getting into those more and more and more and more and uh, a funny little uh, side story is that little game we tried to make a long time ago this is now maybe 15 years ago we started to try to make it and we gave up maybe for 5 years and then as Sen said i moved out and we started making games again we didn't talk, touch that game we started working on tons of different games and uh that though recently though we uh, uh thought about that original game and we incorporated some mechanics from that game into a game that was just released, uh, uh late last year called uh, Acro a uh, two-player game from Z-Man games. So it's kind of funny, it came full circle and uh, actually ended up using, uh, some of the mechanics that we invented a long time ago.
0: Well, would, you know, you never throw anything away. Every writer knows that. Yeah. And it works in games too.
1: Totally. You mentioned, uh, German games. And what differentiates German games from other, other tabletop games?
2: Well, I mean, they st- when we were introduced to them, they were called German games, uh, but now it's, now people just call them Euro games. Euro and, games. And, uh, the, even nowadays though, the, the divide between Euro games and the other flip side of Euro games, a lot of people call them Ameritrash games. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh is, um, the, they're kind of merging, and the, the the dividing line is becoming a bit fuzzy. But generally speaking, um, uh, those kind of games where there's there's often combat, there's often you battle each other, you fight each other. Uh, often there's player elimination. But what you get out of that is a lot of emotion, a lot of dice rolling, and a lot of like, whoa, I can't believe that just happened, and a lot of theme, a lot of theme comes mm-hmm. out. With the German and now known as Euro board games, you get a lot of. Um, uh, uh, more decision, more strategy, and, and that the elegance of the design is more important than the theme and on those kind of uh, rollercoaster of emotions. Mm-hmm. So you're maybe up in your head more, in your brain more. And so uh, definitely Ameritrash fans would say that Euro games are just too boring and pasted on themes. And Euro games would find that Ameritrash games, Euro gamers would find that Ameritrash games are just too chaotic and, you know, their strategy to win is just roll more sixes, you know. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, so neither is right, and neither is wrong. Neither is good, neither is bad. They just have their own fans.
1: So uh, the the Eurogame um, design technique then relies much much more on deterministic gameplay rather than random events.
4: Uh, to a to a certain degree, yes. I mean, there needs to still be a degree of randomness in some mm-hmm. regard for certain games in order for there to be. Uh, a lower barrier of entry in terms of skill, so it doesn't become a pure skill game mm-hmm. uh, like chess, where it you know chess is a game where if you're more skilled, you will win more of the time. And for a game to be more of a family level of gaming, uh, more of a casual level of gaming, there still is randomness interjected into the design. More based on card draw than on mm-hmm. dice rolling, overall. But there are still lots of really good um, games out there that do use dice. Uh, it's not that dice are awful or dice are evil. It's just how they're used sometimes uh, can be portrayed as good or bad, yeah. depending on your personality, right? And, and yeah. like right now, there's a lot of people who actually get upset if you call the game an Ameritrash game. They would think that yeah, you, were, you would think. You were saying something bad about them because they liked that particular game but it's all semantics in the end think, what it has to do with is uh i think jay is probably going to get through this so you can go to it
2: oh it's just the fact that uh, a nice way to kind of compare the two is that um in trash games there is you make a decision and then you add chaos and what that means is mm-hmm. you make a decision like say risk i'm going to move from here to here i'm going to attack here that's my decision i've made that decision now we add chaos we're going to roll the dice to see if it happens and that's where you get the emotion, like, "Oh man, it didn't happen," or like, "Woo, it happened." Oh, so Euro- it's a little like life. Awesome. I mean,
0: you can you can build a, a a bridge, and you know, either there will be an earthquake to knock it down, or there won't. I mean, I mean, everything
2: exactly. And then the Eurogame fans would prefer to have some sort of ability to plan for certain eventualities, and so what they would rather have is they would have rather have chaos and then a decision. And that often comes in the form of sometimes it's actually rolling dice, and then once you've rolled the dice, now you get to assign those dice um, mm-hmm. and make decisions based on the outcome of that roll. Or, or, you, or draw you draw cards, a card. And that's chaotic. You don't know what you're drawing, and you, then you decide what you're doing with those cards.
0: Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if you could do that in real life? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you can, right? It, 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 it actually depends a lot on, on how you view what you're doing in life. Um, if you think about engineering, right, as I don't know if any of you guys are engineers, there's a whole bunch of geeks on the line here. So one yeah, yeah. of you might actually be an engineer. Um, but in engineering, what you're doing is you're actually mitigating all the factors out in your design. Mm-hmm. All those random things you are trying to get rid of or account for every possibility in your design and then put your design in the world, right? <laughs>
1: So with the game Belfort, uh what we have is a simulation of um well as as we said earlier, it's something like Monopoly in in that it's they're
0: building a town. It happens to have mm-hmm. gnomes and elves. And-,
1: and and it's turn-based and you're essentially uh, uh vying for the right to construct various resources within the town and uh whoever builds the most um at the end of the game wins and um so it's we found that uh we found that the setup for the game I mean, we we saw (laughs) the the box. Yeah, yeah. sticking all the stickers on, peeling all those stickers, and so we you know we made a sort of a little party out of that. We had four people putting stickers on, and it took us about an hour, (laughs) Uh, you know, just to figure out where all the stickers went and to make sure we didn't put the wrong sticker on something because we had like
3: one shot at it. (laughs) Uh, At yeah, we needed to do it once. That's true. Next time we can go. Dive so into the game. Play. That's true. Uh huh,
2: that's true. But. The funny story about the stickers is that when we made a prototype and we were playing our own version of the game, we didn't, we didn't have tokens like that and they weren't stickers. They were like, um, little figures, like little pawns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. but there's, a, there's a point in the game where you can promote one of your elves or dwarves to a master elf or dwarf. Yes. And how we did that in our prototype is we, we had these tiny little hats. <laughs> <laughs> It was so cute. <laughs> little hat on the little pawn, and it stuck on perfectly. And it was so cute. And we were kind of uh, hoping to see what that would turn out in the end. And we, uh, initially, we were a bit disappointed. We were like, Oh, tokens. Wow, no more hats. <laughs> and um, oh, uh, in I the end, sew some actually, it's all the tokens the have two benefits. One is you get to see a little bit more of the uh, really awesome artwork by Josh Capel. Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, you can actually stack the tokens and this actually makes it easier to determine who's got the majority in each of the resource types at the end of every uh collection day. so that's, oh, that's yes. kind that of actually nice sense. functional benefit
1: yeah it that actually really did help and uh, mm-hmm. we didn't get to we played uh i think we played up to the first season you know where where uh where the first like, we played the first 3 months
3: First scoring? Uh, yeah, the first sco- oh, yeah. we the played first the first
1: scoring and we were able we didn't have no. we were like uh we started at eight o'clock at night and uh and we ended up it was still it was midnight, pretty close to midnight, and we hadn't finished more than the first year. <laughs> it does it doesn't help if we didn't read the entire
0: manual. Yeah, well, well that's yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> you know, we had this we had but this just, huge learning curve that went with it. So we asked we How, we guess what's your experience that, with Euro games. Um well, uh, for me, most of my experience with Eurogames have been, uh, things like Avalon Hill and Wargame Simulations. Um
4: Ah, oh, so. Okay, so more actually more American style
1: games. I guess so, yes. It, it, that yeah.
0: sounds kind of funny if you're talking about Kingmaker, which is not about an American scenario, but yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: yeah. It's interesting because Belfort is definitely not considered... Uh, there's a term called gateway game mm-hmm. where uh, if you're trying to get people to like the hobby that you have of playing board games, uh, there's certain games that you would want to you know, have them play first to get them like intrigued that maybe are a bit more accessible and a little bit more quick to set up, quick to play, and, and you get it. And uh, probably the biggest uh, example of that is Settlers of Catan. Oh, yes. oh, actually yeah. no, just oh, called
1: yeah. Catan. Insanely popular. There must yeah. be 25 different flavors of it at this point.
2: So Belfort's like a next level. Like After you've kind of got into these kind of games and you've kind of got your head wrapped around the types of decisions you got to make in these kind of games, then Belfort's definitely a more medium to heavy style Euro game. And, and for those kind of players, an uh-huh. like average game would probably be a two hours, hour and a half if you're playing with three people, but upwards of two hours for four or five.
1: We all decided that uh, the next time we played the game, it would go a lot, lot faster because we right. weren't we weren't oh, buried sure. in learn we wouldn't be buried in learning curve at that point. So exactly,
0: other than the uh, the, the sticker issue, um, the look of the game <laughs> is very polished. We we're, we we're, oh. we're loving the artwork
1: and the amusing anecdotes in the writing and the you know oh the,
4: yeah the, that, a lot called. of that is Josh. Every detail counts.
0: Tell us about Josh.
4: Josh is our friend uh, who we actually Ow. met through this project. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an artist from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He's done uh, many games, many, 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 many games, and he's actually the co-designer of another game that's quite popular called Wasabi. you're in Britain, it's called Sushi um, <laughs> about making sushi. And then he is also he got a lot good. of new games signed as well. He's a full-time artist. Mm-hmm. That's what he
2: does for board games.
0: And chef, apparently. No, I'm kidding. No.
4: Well, he mm. likes food. Uh, but the most important things that Josh does that he is not really known for outside of the industry, because people just see his art, uh, but the thing that he does the best, I think, is he takes rules and he makes them readable.
0: Ooh, that's, that's like, uh, technical writing only the other way around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> making so things really understandable.
1: Charles, what was the name Did of that know? game that we played over at the comic book store uh um, the last time you were down there? Uh,
3: was it I think it was Ticket to Ride? Oh yeah, yeah sure.
1: I, uh, no, not that one. Uh, the the other one, the the Xeno the uh, Xenobiology oh one. Oh god. Yeah, there was uh, Sounds like we, they
0: could have used one of these writers We can't to yeah, we
1: Ticket. can't remember the name of the title. I think it but was It was a
3: survival horror game. That that required, I guess, around six players to make it. In, no, not six. Four players to make it actually interesting. But outer oh, space.
1: I uh, know uh, you're you're a prisoner in a uh, uh in a laboratory, e- an evil and the, laboratory, and there are ali- there are uh, uh, aliens running around and. Hmm. and you know, the, the, know the, the, the was it, the was it hard games? to
0: understand yes. the, the rules?
1: The, it was, the, the gameplay seemed fairly straightforward once you figured it out, but the rule book was so badly written that, uh, uh, I mean, a sign of a really bad rule book is where you're trying to get through a single section of play and you're flipping through the entire book trying to find pieces of yes. information about how that segment of play works. Yep. And and that's what our experience the, was like with that game, flipping back and forth through this uh, uh, twenty-four page manual, um, yeah. skimming through the pages, trying to find fragments of information that had to do with whatever it was wow. we were doing.
0: So, and this was not the case with Belfort's.
1: So. Yeah, uh-huh. and Belfort, by contrast, everything you needed for a particular phase of the game was there on the page. You didn't have to go rummaging. There was no guesswork involved. You just, you went to the page. There it was. We figured it out and, uh, the age range of the players was, uh, uh, 58 in, uh, I was the 58 year old uh, to, to, uh, I think 15. And everybody was able to absorb it and understand it and play the game and enjoy it. So, uh,
2: it's funny, the uh, rule books is one of the biggest barriers to entry for this entire hobby, that uh, uh, nobody wants to learn new rules, it's so cumbersome, especially tap, uh, put on top of that the, if it's poorly written and you can't understand it. So there's more and more, uh, what's great about this industry is that there's more and more videos online nowadays that you could actually just go and Google it and go to YouTube and just watch somebody actually explain the game in a video, and it makes mm-hmm. it even easier to start playing a lot of these types of games.
1: Well, that's, while that's true, you can't put the video in the box.
4: And Why not? 100% true,
3: yeah. <laughs> yep. You could put a little uh, DVD yeah. in the box. Uh, yeah,
4: but. Well, you, you could. But you you can, it's just different not different the same.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of publishers now are putting QR codes uh, and, and URLs on the rules saying, hey, go to this website if you want to learn a, from a video.
0: Would you like to know? Oh.
1: More? Well, that's mm-hmm, yep. new. I've never, I, I was unaware that that was being done. Hmm. Uh, Starting.
4: Yeah, there's actually, um shouts out to Rodney Smith from PEI Canada, uh, mm-hmm. who does watch it play videos. Um, his videos are pretty much hands down the industry standard of, um, how to, learning how to play the game from a video. Uh, and he did Belfort a, a while back awesome. and did a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what GameWire has been doing, which is a, a distribution, uh, publication type house, In Seattle, is they will do a QR code that points to his video next to the product. So, hey, if you'd like to learn more about the game, check this video out. And that'll be on the shelf next to the game. Um, And they're not even a store. They're a distributor of product, and they've done that all for the people who kind of want to learn it. It's sort of funny because this week has been a really interesting week in a lot of ways in the board game industry underbelly with uh, Will Wheaton coming out and talking about how the games were improperly played on tabletop. so That's interesting. I Tell me more about that. Interesting stuff. Well, um, <coughs> Will wrote a blog entry, when was it, a couple days ago, about how oh, there's a producer for the show who was supposed to keep Will informed about how the games are supposed to be played and things like that. Because every episode they make a few mistakes here and there, probably like everybody else does in Mm -hmm. life. Um, However, they're supposed to be, you know, above that for some reason. Um, And then Will came on and said, you know, kind of it was this producer's fault. Um, And it's just an interesting way that uh, he did it. It was not the... He did not follow his own law. Let's just put it that way. Ooh, that's like pointing
0: fingers isn't
4: cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we. But um, yeah, because Will Will has the code of you know don't be a dick,
0: right? Uh-huh.
3: So
4: mm. I've never yeah. been a Richard. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway. So, so that, getting that back to get,
1: speech. I'm sorry,
3: Charles. No wonder it's not a very popular name. Yeah,
0: anymore.
1: <laughs> uh, getting back to Belfort. Sure. Uh, what gave you the inspiration for this one? I mean, this is uh this is kind of a. A different spin on the whole resource building game.
0: You're making well, city engineers out of all, all these kids. You know that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the uh, game Warcraft Two?
1: Oh yes, yes I do.
2: That's it. That's the inspiration. And basically, it was well, can we make a game uh, that has that feeling of sending workers out to do things to collect resources, and then using those resources to build buildings, and then those buildings allow you to do other things. Mm-hmm. So that was literally the the motivation of it. And then uh, from there, it kept on growing and changing, and different mechanics added. And we had, at one point during the process, we had a dragon in the game that would attack and start destroying some of your buildings. And mm-hmm. our playtesters uh, unanimously uh, and eventually said that that was just annoying, and they would rather have the, the fun of building <laughs> but not the... Uh, the, the but, but not the of frustration of out. the
1: dragon.
0: Well, come on, we'd like yeah. to have the no frustration of hurricanes and earthquakes either. But we gotta live with things.
2: Mm-hmm. But you
4: don't in a game, apparently. So,
2: <laughs> apparently I think not. Susan, you're probably more of an American game uh, fan than a Euro game fan. Is my guess.
0: <laughs> That's where my background has been so far. But yeah. Now, now yeah. you see. Now you're impelling me to try step on the other side of the ocean. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's
4: always yeah. Cool. I mean, give yeah. it a try. It's it's. Um, there are definitely people out there that don't want to see all the effort they put into building something that they Playing like. Strategized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get demolished. By random chance, I think that was really what the the argument was, is that the dragon really didn't target specifically somebody. It was random, and they didn't like that um, that randomness, uh, the random element that would potentially cause them to lose or even even have a little bit of damage happen to them. It was actually a pretty neat mechanic. When, uh, looking back at it, how the dragon would work and how the dragon would follow a path. Of destruction through the city, uh, but in the end, it was worthwhile to take it out. And there's a lot of reasons why we take things out of games: uh, a, if the playtesters don't like it; b, if it takes longer for us to explain it, then it is worthwhile to play with. If you mm-hmm. get my meaning? Yeah. Could
2: yeah. uh, have more components, maybe. Yeah. It way more components and complexity.
4: Yeah. And so there's a lot of reasons to take something out, and it, so the dragon got axed. Oh, I have a
3: question. Sure. Um, what if there are a few players out there that really love Belfort, but they want to make it interesting? Is there a way to actually uh, make a more advanced version of the game so that the dragon is actually in there?
2: Well, not necessarily the dragon, but we do have uh, two things you can do. One, if you remember at the beginning of the game, you were guided to uh, shuffle up these guild tiles and put five of them out on the board. And uh, you can do that randomly, or you can actually just not do it random and choose. And there's some of them are interactive guilds, and they say right on the back, it's got a big letter I on the back of it. Oh. And the interactive guild gives you a little bit more of that—not uh, combat, but like you can actually target specific players and steal their resources oh, or hurt them in some ways. So that's yeah. if you like that kind of game, you can make Belphegor a little bit more into a take that kind of a game. Okay. Secondly, uh, we already have an expansion up for the game lovingly called Belfort the expansion expansion (laughs) (laughs) because it's all about expanding your uh, buildings and making your buildings even better. And so uh, part of the expansion uh, comes with all these different assistants to help you make your buildings better. So at the beginning of your of a turn, everybody chooses an assistant. And all these assistants are more fantasy creatures like centaur and uh, gargoyles and stuff like that. And they all have these cool abilities that let you do more and more fun and funky things that break rules in the game. So that's like considered an advanced version of the game is, uh, is to play with the, the assistants and the expansions.
1: I want to try that. That was one thing I well, was noticing uh, when we were playing the basic game that uh, that that appeared to be missing from the gameplay, and now I know why, because we weren't yeah. we were just trying to get through it and, and play a basic game without the extra rules. And
2: well, also the thing you don't notice if you don't play to the end is that uh, the, the the scoring in the game is is called area majority, where you're trying to get the most mm-hmm. uh, of your buildings in each district, and so in the beginning of the first you know three months, you don't really get a feeling of tension of trying to get in it. But by the time you get to the last month, you are trying to nickel and dime every every point you can get by getting the, the placing your buildings in the most optimal place you can and trying to edge out your competitors. That's where the, the competition comes from in a Euro game. It's more mm-hmm. in racing to get things and uh, uh, edging people out of points.
4: And the mm. other thing that you probably missed was the taxation rules. Mm. Um, if you don't go past a certain amount of money, it or points, you're not going to get into taxation where you actually have to plan ahead because you know taxes, like death, are inevitable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you know how much you're going to get taxed because of what your score is. So you have to try to feel out how much should I save, is it worthwhile to save this or spend it now because I'm going to get benefit from it. Did you guys see that, the taxes around the outside of the board?
3: Oh yeah, we saw that. And I actually had to deal with that a little bit. (laughs) Luckily, I only had to pay one, one gold piece for it. Unlike yeah. one of my friends who had to pay, I think, three at one point. Yeah. I wouldn't mind yeah.
0: paying three gold pieces for my, you know, yeah. property taxes. I could, I could scrape that up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about what you were saying about the, uh, the dragon and, uh, and why the players were getting upset about that. And I thought that uh, maybe the reason they didn't like it is because it broke the paradigm. You know the your, the, the gameplay uh, paradigm for the game, uh, which is um, very euro game, and then you have this dragon element which runs around and destroys things randomly, and suddenly that's very Ameritrash style. And yeah, I think that's what he was yeah.
2: saying. Yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah. The,
1: the two the two approaches don't really mix all that well.
3: Yeah, they don't blend. Well, they, they it, there's can. some games
2: that do. Yeah, some more and more now. There's some games that kind of mix them in unique ways. Uh, and sometimes they hit, and sometimes they miss, but, uh, yeah, it's possible.
4: Just, but, was yeah, it, we just didn't figure it out for that one, yeah. And the, I mean, it's it's like, imagine if you were playing with your friends, and you were all building towers out of bricks, and then somebody ran in and kicked them all down. That's kind of how they felt. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I understand
0: that, that yeah. you don't want that. You got enough of that in real life. You don't want that yeah, like, in like play life.
4: Castles.
0: I mean, at least, it, you know, a... Uh, a dragon is a somewhat more fantasy element rather than an earthquake or a hurricane mm-hmm. to uh, yeah. bust your house. That's why the
2: expansion with all the assistance is uh, uh, well-received from the people that have played it, because it's uh, it adds a lot of that fantasy into the game.
1: The expansion expansion. We gotta <laughs> <go.
2: I laughs>
4: it's
0: hard it. to find, actually. Is it, yes, is it yeah, out yet? did one run of it. Can we find it? Is it out yet?
4: It's oh, been, been out for a while. It's yeah. been out for a while, but, okay. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it may be hard to find. You never
1: know though. I'm if you a good look finder. So Belfort, uh, Belfort won the Geeky Award for 2014 for best tabletop game, but and the game we itself, and we were oh, there, we were, uh, we were hosts <laughs> of that, we were in the audience at the time. And,
0: oh
1: my god. Uh, and it was embarrassing. <laughs> no, no, it was we awesome. Did, but it also won, uh, uh, the Dice Hate Me Game of the Year Award in two thousand eleven. <laughs>
0: I love that yep. name. Dice hate me. Dice
1: hate me. And uh, well, well, luckily there's no dice. Yeah, it really. Yeah, is. and, and uh, so the game has been out actually
4: for a while. And yep. yeah. And so what
0: have you done since then, and where are you going?
4: Well, we we've released a bunch of games. Um, so a couple other ones that have been doing. Pretty well for us are games like um, Akrotiri, which Jay mentioned before, uh, from Z-Man Game. It's a two-player game where you're mucking around in the Mediterranean um, near the islands of Greece, uh, actually the island of Akrotiri, which is now Santorini, and you're in an ancient mariner, plying his wares around the, the islands, but the real goal is to unearth an, and excavate ancient temples and so you're going around all the the islands there um shipping goods back to the island of santorini in order to get money to go back out and pay for the excavations to get the temples and it's basically a race to see who can get there you find six temples first and the game escalates in that as you find temples you're, you get to do more and more actions and so the person in the lead sometimes gets a little bit more of a lead but it's really interesting how the game plays out because the person who is usually slower has a stronger economy uh, and therefore can catch up.
2: The coolest part about it is the fact that you've got these map cards and they, they tell you and you, you alone where a temple is hidden and the whole game is actually what's called a tile laying game so every turn mm-hmm. you add a new tile to the board making the, the board bigger and bigger as you play and you have to play these tiles in a way such that it makes your map card come true. And that, to us, is a pretty oh. new and novel kind of mechanic and concept for a game. And uh, so far, it's been very well reviewed and received. So that's, I that's like pretty that. Exciting.
4: That's pretty
1: original. Sort of. Yeah, so if you like two-player
4: games, give it yeah, a shot. Yeah, it's two-player only, yeah. And then uh, another one that's doing really well for us is called But Wait, There's More from Toy Vault Games. Hmm. And it is a game about pitching... Uh, wild and crazy ideas that uh, you get sort of semi-randomly. So the setup's like this. In the middle of the table, there will be a product that all of us are playing and all of us are pitching about, like, let's say, uh toothbrush. And then in your hand, you'll have a bunch of, uh, we call them feature cards. So I might have, you know, has a wireless internet or, <laughs> you know, Fits. With ro- rotating blades. Yeah, rotating blades. Uh, <laughs> gasoline, room for seven. Gasoline-powered. Right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I'll play, let's say I'm first, I'll play my card and say, hey, you know, today for sale on uh, from Senko, we have the toothbrush with rotating blades. That's right. It not only does it brush, it's going to cut all the plaque right out from between your teeth. But wait, there's more. And when I say but wait, there's more, then I flip over the top feature card at random, so I don't know what it is, (laughs) and I have to then integrate that into my pitch and tell you why this is the most amazing thing, because now I not only have a toothbrush that has rotating blades, but I have a toothbrush that has rotating blades that also has laser-guided sights or something like that, and then I have to to tell you why this works. There was a a Monty Python
0: sketch about this. I'm sure there was.
4: (laughs) That's pretty funny that you say that, but yes. Um, and then more recently, uh, Jay, we've been getting into a lot of in, uh, intellectual property games. So I think one that's coming out really soon is from IDW Games, Pandasaurus Games. They're the ones who released Machikoro. Mm-hmm. Um, the game is uh, Orphan Black. Oh, right. It would be like the TV show. Yeah. And all the tokens the we look the same, game.
0: right? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But they have different hats.
1: They, they could. It's all yeah, about, that one's cool. it's all about like the hats.
2: That one's called like a deduction game in which you're trying to deduce uh, which faction uh, each player is on. And as a faction, you're trying to coerce and influence uh, each of the clones to come to your faction. But you don't want to do it so overtly that everyone knows which faction you're on. So it's a, kind of a clandestine kind of... It uh, feels very much like the show.
4: Hmm. Yeah, so you don't play a clone. You play either the... Excuse me, the uh, bird watchers, or the neolucians, or the palethians, and then you're trying to draw the clones into your 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 fold. It's a pretty neat game. Yeah. And then,
2: that we have a, a game uh, in the Godzilla world, so it's a Godzilla battling game where um, I would have a deck that's full of Godzilla cards, and you would uh, maybe I would play you, and it would be full of. Uh, Muto cards or Rodan cards or what have you. And we would play a card game, a two player card game, battling each other, like swinging at each other, just doing all these attacks. And if uh, you can't draw any more cards, then you're dead and, you, and you've lost the game. And so that's, uh, that's going to be interesting because that has a big scope to it because the idea is that you buy the, the cards and they come, uh, the exact same set you'd buy uh, everywhere in the world, but you could buy multiple sets and you could start to kind of make your own deck with those cards. And so that's been a very fun and interesting design challenge for us.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure would. Uh, wow, I mean, you've got a uh, you've got a great foundation for for. Well, there's, uh, for... there's even
4: more. Oh
2: yeah. <laughs> oh no. This is, a, this is a, good. We had a stuff. micro wait, game more. come out last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but wait, we had a micro more. game come out last year that was called. This is my favorite title for a board game ever. It, it was called. This town ain't big enough for the two to four of us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: it oh, never that, is. That, oh, that's Miles, good. It's a really twenty-four tiles. Yeah, and it's uh, you just add tiles, and you're trying to create corrals with your cowboys and and not uh your opponents cowboys. And well, so no, you want some of your game, opponent,
4: You want some of your opponents in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this <laughs> um,
0: is
1: this is yeah. what you guys do. I mean, this is your primary occupation at this point.
0: This is not what you expected in I college, know. is it?
4: It's, well, it, no, it actually isn't our primary occupation, unfortunately. Not yet. Not yet. It's that's our goal, know, though.
0: Yeah. The does. game,
4: the game design world is an interesting world. It, it's not super lucrative, but it can be if you you hit it right. If you if you either make a lot of games or you get a few games that are what we call evergreens in the business, where mm-hmm. them, they'll perennially sell uh, at a certain level, no matter what. Um, and like Catan or Ticket to Ride that you guys already mentioned, mm-hmm. um, games like uh, King of Tokyo by Richard Garfield, uh, Yellow Yellow Games. That's kind of up there in that game that everybody knows it in the in the business or in the in the hobby, and they will recommend it to other people to buy as a good gateway game, as a good game that you could buy for anybody and they'd probably enjoy it. Um, and so we we're hoping for some of those, and then we're also hoping that some of the licensed products. Become um, you know at least lucrative enough that uh, it pays off for some of the trips that we have to make to conventions and whatnot. So <laughs> and as, been- lot, as long as my wife doesn't uh, think that I'm paying out the nose to do anything that I'm doing, then it's all good. Yeah,
2: we've been really fortunate too because uh, with Belfort being our first game that came out, really, uh, it was very well received and winning awards and whatnot, and uh, there's a board game site called uh, BoardGameGeek.com, mm-hmm. which uh, allows people to go on, any user that's on there, and rate games. And uh, then it it puts all of them in a list to show you what are the top-rated games of all time. And uh, there's over 60,000 games in this database, and Belfort is currently in the top 250 games. Nice. Wow. What's, thank you, yes. What's great about that is that, going out of the gate now, we... Going to other publishers and and pitching games to them to say, "Hey, do you want to publish this?" It kind of gives us a little bit of a clout a little bit of a a tiny reputation that we can at least uh they know that we're you know not some you know doofus or something. We mm-hmm. actually you know know how to make a game I guess mm-hmm. that's been nice.
4: Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the other stuff that we do in the industry as well. So Jay and I will be going to Gen Con, mm-hmm. actually for our first time, uh, in Indiana at the end of July. And we're putting on a seminar on how to pitch games to publishers. Um, so that's a good one. Uh, and then I host a show called Maple Syrup with another uh, friend of ours, Daryl mm-hmm. Andrews, another game designer. And we just talk game design with publishers, with game designers, with people in the industry, Excuse
2: me so I don't think they get the, the the reference because in in the board game world there's a, a figure called a meeple and it started off in this game called Carcassonne which is a very, it's another evergreen title game uh-huh. and it's basically a wooden uh uh kind of person and it looks like a little person standing up kind of in a YMCA pose the Y, and his his hands are up and so many games use this little uh figure uh, for various, um, you know, t- tokens or pawns moving your guys around, that it's been dubbed the Meeple. M e e p. Yeah, I've seen
0: that around. Uh-huh.
2: Okay, yeah, Meeple. And so Sen's show is called Meeple Syrup. Oh, uh, Canadian. Okay,
4: oh, of course it is. Meeple syrup. Meeple syrup. Get it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes, we get it. Yes, we, we get I, it. I hadn't quite heard the somehow the, d- the word Meeple vowel.
0: got uh, got at by the uh, system.
1: Yeah, I, I, I heard maple. I, I heard maple.
0: I heard medieval. medieval. And going medieval syrup. But, uh,
4: medieval syrup. Tasty. <laughs> What's medieval syrup? I, well, got, no.
0: I got recipes, buddy. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me in historical cooking.
1: Now, Susan is an expert in historical and medieval.
0: Which is why, which is why my eyes a little brightened up when when I heard about Josh's sushi game. I'm going. Oh, I gotta try this. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna
4: like it. It's it's a really good game. Actually, he's uh he's pitching a whole line of food related games at some point. So.
3: Ooh, I need okay. this. Now, do we actually get to eat some parts of it?
4: If you're no. nice to me no. on will the whole game over game.
3: So we actually
2: <laughs> partnered with Josh and the three of us actually designed our own game. This one this is another game that's coming out next year and it's a uh, it's maybe the second best title for a board game and it's called Rock Paper Wizards. Ooh. Ooh. And <laughs> It's a super cool concept in which uh, it's a very fun social game in which there's a, a different uh, cards on the table that have different hand gestures and they keep getting replenished. So there's all these different types of hand. In each hand gesture is a different spell, and you look at the hand gestures and then everyone says you're ready. You put your fists up and you and you do a rock paper scissors kind of motion, but you then use <laughs> put your hand into one of these gestures and point it at one of your opponents. <laughs> and you cast those spells on each other. And it's, hey. awesome. it's
1: so fun. We're so sitting here
0: he- making stupid hand gestures at each other. That's <laughs> so, yeah, good, yeah. radio man.
1: <laughs> so was this perhaps inspired by that uh, that infamous T-shirt, rock-paper-scissors lizard Spock?
2: It wasn't. No, it was just inspired uh, by Sen. Was- had an idea of making a game. That used fewer and fewer components, and so mm. Sen was like, "Well, maybe we can just use our hands as a component. Then that's
1: super cheap. <laughs> what you don't idea. have to ship those.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't have stickers on That's where it started. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. That's awesome. But it doesn't rock, use the rock paper scissors wizards.
2: mechanic. It doesn't have a rock beats uh, paper, uh, rock beats scissors, that kind of a mechanic. It it just you're trying to damage each other and steal each other's coins.
4: Oh, oh. okay, that's I very try cool. That. Yeah, there's a lot of you know, really important stuff in on. there to to keep everybody in the game. It'll actually be kickstarted next year um, mm-hmm. out through uh, Michael Coe's company, Gameland Games. They do all the Tiny Epic Galaxy, Tiny Epic Defenders, all that kind of stuff. So we'll
0: definitely be- come I'm around and, and promote it you know this is Kickstarter Central around here. <laughs> I would
1: love to play that. Yeah, we uh we are taste setters at Krypton Radio and uh well, <laughs> and people do pay attention when we say, you know, hey, look at this. It happens. You know, remember that right. uh, steampunk alphabet book that did so well?
0: Oh my god, yeah, that just launched, didn't it? Or, right after we
1: Yeah, it it just it. we talked about it and it went kaboom and and he got like uh Not uh, literally, uh, of course. Well, yeah, but he got like 35 percent of his Kickstarter like within two days after we yeah. broadcast. Well, we'll
2: have to send you a, a copy of Rock Paper Wizards before we uh, launch our Kickstarter. Campaign. Please,
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll, yes, we'll please. do it. Yes, Fortunately, uh, you know the hands won't be. You won't have to include those in the box.
4: Yeah, those so hands already. <laughs> we should say that on the box: hands not included. <laughs> hands not included. <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> not included. Oh, Pete, yo, you the, know what? Uh, you are going to get letters from amputees complaining.
1: Oh, no. They can't play. Why game. would an amputee buy a game that you need hands to play?
0: I don't know. But, well, <laughs> some people will, will complain um, about a sunny day.
1: Well, you know. I
2: can see a comic strip, though, if somebody has that in it. That'd be funny.
0: <laughs> well, you could have that for free <laughs> and worth every penny. Yeah.
2: Uh. <laughs> he keeps casting the fireball spell, which is just a fist. Uh. Oh, oh, Okay.
1: Jay and Sen, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Krypton Radio's weekly production of the Event Horizon. We're very glad you stopped by. This is a great game. The game is Belfort. It's from TMG. The game is for two to five players. It is. I think it's three to five, is that right? No, it's two to five.
0: You can play with two.
1: Yeah, you can play with
0: two. Two is too young to play this game.
1: And it's just, it's just brilliant. It's a, fantasy take on resource building and very strategy-oriented. It's a brilliant game, winner of the 2014 Geeky Awards for Best Tabletop Game and very well deserved. Thank you both for joining us.
4: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
1: You have been listening to episode 105 of the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio for June twenty seventh 2015. Our guests this evening have been Sen Fung Lim and Jay Cormier, designers of the fantasy resource building game Belfort, winner of the Best Tabletop Game Award from the 2014 Geeky Awards. This episode will air again on Sunday, June 28th at 4 p.m. Pacific and at various additional times throughout the coming week. Consult the program schedule on the kryptonradio.com website for showtimes in your area. If you would like to appear on the event horizon or you know or work for someone who does, please write to our production manager Cat Carter at, at com. If you would like to become a patron of Krypton Radio, and we strongly urge that you do, you can do so at patreon.com slash kryptonradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash kryptonradio. Just a dollar or two a month from you will make a difference. It all adds up, but only if you actually donate. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The Navigator was played by Christine Cherry. The Science Officer was science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The Engineer was Christian B. McGuire. And the Captain was voiced by legendary science fiction author Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, is copyright 2015 by the Krypton Media Group, Inc. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.